As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Front and Nationwide. This is the Athletics dedicated Blue Jackets podcast. Aaron Portsign with you on a Wednesday, sunny, beautiful, glorious Wednesday. Allison Lucan is here. Hello, I'm enjoying some delightful chocolates, Aaron. Um, be honest. Yes. How many are left? Oh, no, I've only eaten like two more today. I've behaved. Really? Yes. That's impressive. Yes, I'm, That's impressive. I'm being good. Yeah, we should get some. We should be a, a uh, spokespeople for Guma, the Licking County chocolate tradition. I'm enjoying my chocolates as much as you're going to enjoy threading the tweets for the people. You said you're looking forward to this. Um. You know, I guess I'm looking, I think I'm looking forward to it not being a topic. <laughs> it's only been three years. Yes. Yes. I understand. I'm proud I of you. This is a big step. Uh, I'm proud of you. Well, thank you. Uh, Blue Jackets with a, you, you know what? That was a, a night that I feel like a lot of people needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tuesday night, Blue Jackets 4-1 over the Red Wings. Uh, it meant obviously a lot to the 1,953 people in the crowd. I think it meant as much to the 20, 20 guys on the ice uh, to have the 1,953 there. It felt, um, it was kind of in its own way, a memorable evening. Yeah. Was it not, Allison? It, it was, for sure. I mean, it was, um, I, and I'll be honest, I was surprised. Um, and I'm not, this is not a dismissal of what fans bring to any sport, but I was honestly yeah. surprised at the, not just the volume, that fans being in the building brought in terms of crowd noise when it was such a relatively small number. Um, but the, the emotion, I mean, there was a different energy in there. And, and I do think that I give that to the fans. I think that's fully to their credit. Yes. Yeah. And there was a mo the, the players you could tell 
Um, Cam Atkinson was emotional after the game. Uh, his first response after he scores the first goal of the game, the shorthanded goal, is to point up into the crowd. Uh, the the players come to center ice and raise their sticks. Uh, yeah, and I think they. I have a feeling that that could that's something they may discuss as an as a nightly tradition. I know some other cities do it. It's just a nice touch. Hey, thanks for coming. Um, but I, it felt and Nick Foligno's comments to the to the crowd afterward. Mm-hmm. You, you could tell it meant a lot to them just above and beyond their performance. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, it's similar to, well, it's not similar. It's how the players felt. But, you know, it's it's one of those things you don't, you appreciate something. But I think we've all had tons of lessons this past year of uh, not really appreciating something till we can't take advantage of it anymore. And and that's kind of right. what I sensed from the players, even in their postgame comments, was it was a genuine relief and and pleasure for them to have fans there like it it, it was yeah. there was no you know cliche pr spin the players were genuinely just so happy to have people in the building there who supported them and were behind the team yeah and i may never refer to fans as spectators again because i realize now the difference like a spectator is someone who just simply mm-hmm. watches and and takes in not somebody who's part of it and i i think i think we've learned through all of this that they are in fact part of it it was great to hear the uh, them boo the uh, offside call yes. on seth jones yes. they were wrong but that doesn't matter it was, it was a good call that's right but it doesn't matter their job there is to boo the official that's right um I even loved hearing the guy scream shoot on the power play. There you are. I missed you. <laughs> well, and Where have you been? The guy, there was a, there was a, a fan in the section near us who every time Corpy got the puck on his stick, for some reason, this fan yeah. was very invested in Eunice Corposalo shooting the puck. And so every time he got it, he was <laughs> screaming shoot. And you know what? God bless. Loved it. Bring it on. You must have, I might have money on that one. I don't know. That's a <laughs> curious Peculiar scream. Uh, Ty Domi had a or Max Domi Here we go, go again, yep. had a guy in the crowd who was giving him shit, and I, I'm thinking, Yarmo? <laughs> oh, jeez, that Yarmo down there? Wow. Yeah, um, it was coming from from all directions last night. But it, it is it's impressive how many how much noise two thousand people um, can make. And you know what? The Cleveland Browns learned this too. Even in an outdoor stadium, I forget what their numbers were, but they they had way maybe twenty five percent of a Full house, and I remember Browns players remarking how loud their stadium got, even with with one fourth capacity. And we should say now that that uh, the Blue Jackets will be at twenty five percent when they next play at home uh, a week from Tuesday, so March 9th against Florida. Uh, per the governor, they're now allowed to have twenty five percent, not twenty five percent of standing room only. I aired a bit on Twitter this morning. 25% of the seated capacity. So about 4,500 people. So Allison, more than twice as many uh, will be there next Tuesday as opposed to uh, the game just last night. Yes. And, you know, I would like to give a, a comment. I saw um, many comments both on Twitter and, and even comments on your story from the game last night of people talking about how um, respectful everyone was of the guidelines, how great the arena staff was in, in making it a great experience, but keeping people safe. And we're so close. Everyone, we're so, so close to the finish. Yes. And, and we are able to start coming back closer to normal by yep. let's just all buy in for a little bit longer. That's how we get to a place where more fans get in the building. 
um, let, let's help each other out and do what we need to do to start to find these bits of enjoyment more and more accessible. And um, let, let's get through it together and take care of each other. Yeah. And, and I've seen some comments from people who, who aren't comfortable and don't think that there should be fans mm-hmm. in the building. And some people have not been pleased with our coverage um, saying it hasn't taken a critical eye at this. And, and my, my I've said all along, like we've, I, we've done a couple of podcasts with a, doc, a, a, a great doctor from John Carroll, Mark Cameron. Um, I think we've covered that aspect of it sufficiently. I'm not weighing in. I, I have, I'm not going to tell people if they should come or if they shouldn't come. I'm just passing along the information that 15, 10% were allowed to come last night and 25% are allowed to come next Tuesday. Clearly it's a personal choice. Mm-hmm. Um, clearly if I, all I'm saying is it's better with fans in the building, but that that's a very personal choice that people have to make if they feel safe doing it or not. And I'm obviously in no position to tell people if it's the right decision for them or not, but it sure was nice to hear some voices last night and it'll be great next week to hear even more of them. And I hope it is the right thing. I hope everybody gets through this and we finish strong to your point, Allison. Um, what a week it's been <laughs> or a couple of weeks it's been. Um, and I, I'm not sure one game, one win wipes away all of the troubles that this team has suffered. But the, the story that sort of percolated over the weekend, because it, you know, you, you watch how this team was playing. You see the five-game losing streak. You realize that Claude Julien is fired by for by Montreal for um, much less than a five-game losing streak. And you have to wonder what the Blue Jackets are thinking on John Tortorella. He even said himself he understands the questions and, quite frankly, asked them, expected them to be asked earlier. But let's kick back on this, Allison. The Blue Jackets. Uh, Yarmo Kekalainen with a vote of confidence toward uh, John Tortorella and staff, I should say, uh, wanted to speak on Tuesday morning, the day of the game with Detroit, giving the team the day off Monday. And it was pretty clear that he is entrusting John Tortorella and staff to lead them out of this hole that they're in, much as the staff has done other holes they've been in in previous seasons. Um, your thoughts on all that has transpired. And if you want to go there, your thoughts on Yarmo standing by his man at a pretty critical juncture of the season. <laughs> Why don't you just ask me to solve world peace while we're at it there? That's a, a well, lot. <laughs> let, let, let's get to the commercial break before, before you do that, but go ahead if you wish. Okay. Well, we'll take our commercial break and we'll be right back. Yes. <laughs> no, I meant world peace. Oh, Cause that might take a little while. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just one. See, still no reprieve. Um, so uh, as far as what's, happening. I mean, this is not John Tortorella's first rodeo. Um, he knows what's going on. I, I, I think that anyone who wasn't asking the question, if John Tortorella's job wasn't in question, um, isn't taking in the situation. And I think that right or wrong, when a team is floundering and you feel like you've exhausted all other options, the last button you have to push, if you will, is changing the coach. Um, we've seen this across the league. I'm not necessarily always a fan of it unless the coach has done something um, egregious or harmful because I think most times we see that new coach come in and give a, a small performance bump, but it's it, 
so much has already been cast. It's really hard to see an impact of a coaching change long term. Um, but I think it's foolish to not ask the question. I think it's been really hard to understand what is going on with this group. And I think from a media perspective, selfishly, um, we are trying to all keep all of ourselves healthy. And so we are not in the room with the players. We are not physically in the same space as the coaches. We aren't able to get as much of a read as we usually do on how the guys feel or what they're thinking, or, you know, maybe an off the cuff comment here or there. So we have to go on what we're seeing. We're not hearing a lot that really reconciles what we see on the ice and what we know about these athletes being consummate professionals who have succeeded at the highest levels. So I I understand the question. Um, At the same time, you know, if you look at this from a straight business perspective, this is, we believe to be John Torrella's last year of his contract. So, you know, if, if, if this is going to be the end anyway, um, you have to weigh the impact of, of letting him go, having to make a lot of changes or believing that there's a chance he's not back at all next year, regardless of what happens with this team. Um, so I think from a business perspective, you have to weigh that. Um, and then the final point, I think I'm covering everything, you know, Yarmo standing by him. that's an interesting question because I think that, you know, if from me sitting on the outside, I've never been a GM, obviously, if you believe your roster is underperforming and it's a coaching impairment, if you believe you've built a winning roster, is the coaching harming the roster or is the roster harming the roster? And, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and this is a coach that Yarmo Kekalainen brought in as well. Um, so this is a, a gentleman he thought could lead this team and he has done great things for this franchise, arguably, as much, if not more, than any other coach that's been in in that barn. So, do I am I surprised by Yarmo standing by him? I am not. Um, they know more of what they think is going on with that group than I do. Um, but it it tells me that it, it implies to me that there is something going on with these players um, that is beyond the reach of, or, or I should say the negative impact of coaching. It's, it's such a strange situation. It's such a hard year to get a read on what's going on. Yeah, for sure. Um, and of course, all of that being said, at the end of the day, how many times have we seen a GM say, I have, this is a vote of confidence in my coach. And two weeks later, the coach is gone. So yeah, um, this right. could all be performative too. That's a thing that's not going to be a surprise if it happens. Yeah. So I'm not a, I'm not a big fire the coach guy yeah. at all. I, I, I've always been of the belief that, that if, if you've got a guy that you think is a hell of a hockey coach, then you you let them work. Right. You let them work through things. It's not always going to be a straight line. And I, on a personal level, I think Yarmo's making the right call here. But the one thing, many things you learn doing this long enough is this is this kind of situation where coaches do get fired. That's right. Where you look at a team and you're like, my God, how is... I don't think this applies right now, but early in the season, how is Seth Jones playing like that? That's right. How? How is Zach Wierenski making that play? What has happened to Vladislav Gavrikov? Why can't Max Domi, why can't he play? Like even, why does he look like a player who does not, frankly, deserve to be in the lineup a lot of nights? Mm-hmm. How is that possible? Um, and, and I think you can go through the lineup and find examples of that. When when there is a a, a nervousness, a, a, an apprehension all over the ice, I I think you 
I, I, a lot of times that, that does fall on the coach. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think that where we're, where the blue jackets are at right now is where they have been in some previous seasons. It's easy to forget that because it seems so long ago, but this team really wasn't good 30 games into last year. Right. And they were well under 500 at that point. And then they just went crazy um, the other direction. So, yeah, I, I don't, I think Yarmo made the right call here. I wouldn't fire John Tortorella um, because I, I don't know who else you bring in here to fix it. And I'm only making that move if I think the move is going to fix something, mm -hmm. not just, not just take care of what's going on right now. Um, but I, I, I think it's to your point, it would be silly to think that the thought hasn't crossed his mind either, that it hasn't been a consideration. Um, and, and I think they've even acknowledged that there were plenty of talks well before Yarmo spoke Tuesday between the two of them, um, where this very stuff may have been discussed. How much of John Tortorella's legacy here in Columbus, do you think should be taken into account here? In other words, this guy, I mean, it, it's kind of crazy. Let me just back up for a second. It's a little crazy when you think the Columbus Blue Jackets made the playoffs four years in a row. Yep. In three of those years, they lost to the Stanley Cup champion. In the other, other year, they lost to the team that lost the Stanley Cup final in game seven, right? And now here's Columbus, Ohio. 23 games into just a freaking weird ass season where all kinds of odd things are happening or not happening. It's just not a typical year, 23 games, 24 games into the season and people saying that's enough, pull the shoot. That might be a little hectic or a little too quick for me. Um, but I also think you take into account John Tortorella's legacy in this town and, and what this organization was before he got here. And what the results have been since he's been here. And I think he deserves the longer leash than most coaches would get. I think we know from Yarmo that Yarmo Kekalainen's not a fire the coach guy, too. Look how long he waited on Todd Richards, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How many slow starts did they get off to? And it took them six games the year that they made a move on Richards early in the season and brought uh, Tortorella in. But, Allison, how much... I just out of respect to Tortorella and what he's meant to Columbus, how important or how much of that should factor into Yarmo's uh, decision making in terms of just letting John Tortorella finish out his contract in Columbus rather than to fire him and send him packing midseason. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Yeah, it's a good question. Um, when you started talking, I thought you were going to ask if this would be how he would be remembered and would it be this would oh. be the impact. And um, my answer was going to be no. And so um, I, I don't. And why, my reasoning for no might be why I think Yarmo, in addition to what you said, is going to be would be slow to pull this trigger because um, this is not a team that came into this season game planning for a roster that didn't include Pierre Luc Dubois and that did totally. include Patrick Line. And I don't care what anyone says, your game plan has to change when your roster changes like that. Some for good, some for more challenge, but your game plan yep. has to change. Um, I also think, you know, as, as I talk to people about what's going on here, because for so, for so much of this, everyone around the organization and people in the media have said, well, they're not going through anything that any other team isn't going through as far as the schedule, as far as COVID restrictions, da, 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 da. And that's true. But I think what we're seeing here and a, a question that should be asked is, but what this team doesn't have and any team going through a significant downturn doesn't have is the time to write the ship. There was always that like four day stretch that we would talk about. Like, isn't it good to have a few days of practice, John? Isn't it good to, to not be on the road for a week and a half? And this is not an indictment or an excuse of what's going on. But I think that's a critical piece of this for me is there simply isn't time for any organization to fix bigger problems than quick positioning or, you know, lineup changes. Um, this, there's just no time at all to pause, take a breath and fix it. And when you do have to fix it, you're barely in person, you're meeting over zoom, you're doing things like this. So, um, I think, you know, and then all of the exceptions that I already noted about the season in general, I think that those things maybe more so than the legacy per se cover torts, but I think there's a respect that he has earned that earns him some time here. However, if he's fired tomorrow, this is not going to be what defines him. How many coaches get fired in the NHL, right? So oh, totally. um, yeah. if he is fired tomorrow, this is not going to be the harbinger of his career, in no. my opinion. No. no. Allison, you know what's going to happen when he does leave Columbus or well, be by, the, by his own choice or, or by getting fired? It's going to be, well, yeah, I told you he couldn't last there very long. That's right. Right. But and he he's been here like twice the average length of a coaching tenure in the NHL. That's right. And and you know, I mentioned earlier in a far more serious context of not knowing what you've got till it's gone, this city, this organization is gonna miss John Tortorella. And that's that's no disrespect to whoever comes next, but I don't think there's always full appreciation for what he's brought in terms of attention to the market, attention to the team. Um, honestly for us, just the opportunity to cover someone who doesn't pull any punches. Um, he, he, he will, he will leave a void when he goes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and to your point, I, I think what the blue jackets are attempting to do here, not by their own design is uh, they don't have an identity right now. Right. And I don't think they know what that identity could be because that identity with Dubois and Anderson was, is a big power heavy team almost a western style in the eastern conference if you will and now i don't know what they are and i don't know what they want to be i think we're still still watching a team that's sort of um metamorphosizing is that a word metamorphic metamorphosizing 
into something they're going to be, but um, it, boy, you, you know, and I, I've written this a few times because I think it's just so damn fascinating. When training camp started, it was, it was, <laughs> it was Dubois, Domi, Koivu, Nash down the middle. Mm-hmm. And there was a game last Saturday's game in Nashville where uh, none of the four were still playing center. Yep. Like that is crazy. Dubois is obviously gone. Texier slotted into the middle. Um, Nash was playing on the wing. Koivu retired. I mean, this team in, in a, the challenge of this season alone is steep enough. Now you add in trying to figure out an identity, right? trying to compensate for such turmoil at center ice. And, and you put that on top of struggles. They've had other spots of the lineup that you didn't expect them to be. And wow, it, it's kind of a minor miracle, Allison, that they're nine, 10 and five, <laughs> you know, yeah. that they're not just flat out of it. By now. Right. Like they could be five, you know, easily five, 13 and seven or whatever. Right. Um, and good night, Irene, but, but they're, they're in a, they're in a hard way, but they're not out of it by any stretch. Uh, Allison, that game Tuesday was the second period, especially, honestly, I don't think they were that good. The first and the third period, I thought the first period they had that here we go again, look about them. The second period, I thought they were tremendous. Uh, the third period kind of messy. Uh, this team doesn't have much experience playing with the big lead. And I think Detroit fairly tuned out after the second period. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, and it is Detroit. We should, we should factor that in. Absolutely. But h- how confident now are you that the blue jackets are kind of up on their skis a little bit? Um, are you believing, are you believing that yet? Or do you yet need more proof? Uh, short answer. I need more proof, but long answer. Yeah. This is a step. And, you know, getting through that first period and not all of a sudden falling off the cliff like they have when their opponent ties, I think, is a big deal. Um, and, and what's the saying? A journey of a thousand miles starts with one single step. Well, there's your step. Um, and now it's upon this group to, to keep going and not, it, it, not panic. If they go into Dallas, score the first goal, and then Dallas ties it up. Now they've got to do exactly what they did last night again. Yeah. Yeah, Dallas not an easy team. Um, they're not playing no. particularly well, but I don't think that's an easy team by any stretch. And I, I'll answer my own question. I don't. I don't believe it yet, and I don't think anyone should. Like, I, I that second period felt like like who are these guys? But I, if I'm the Blue Jackets, I want more of a exclamation point in the third. Um, not more goals necessarily. I'm not looking for eight to one, but just um, owning that game and grabbing that game mm-hmm. and it was just kind of a sloppy third period. You still see stuff passes that are, where was that going? Yeah. Or why was it going there? There's still some sort of incongruities in their game that I think they've got to get out. Um, but I, you know, it's obviously a, a better step to have won um, than to, than, than to continue to suffer. They had to hold serve against Detroit, but I think Dallas is going to be a, a much tougher task. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, So I'm writing a piece for tomorrow about one of the few sort of positive surprises this year. If you look across this team, there's been a lot of players that I think have performed below their expectation. The one player that 
in recent weeks has sort of been a pleasant surprise is Gabriel Carlson. And it's an interesting, he's an interesting cat, the long and winding path that he's taken to the NHL. I, it seems like it's been 10 years ago. It was only four that Carlson came up for the playoffs against Pittsburgh in 2017 and, and, and was right into the lineup. And I think we all assumed then he was, this guy was going to be uh, next year a regular. Yep. Well, I haven't seen him forever. <laughs> yeah. He's been up and down. He's been around more than he's played and cleared waivers in, in uh, early last month, February 15th. I think it was, he cleared, um, which was one of those moments where you're wondering if the, that the blue jackets have decided uh, to cut bait and talk to Yarmo today. His quotes will be in there, of course, but they, timed that very carefully. They had nine defensemen. They wanted to get an extra forward up. And so they timed that very carefully uh, with the idea that nobody would be able to grab him. But Carlson has been one of their steadier defensemen here the last two weeks or so, um, replacing Vladislav Gavrikov on the second pair with David Savard. And John Tortorella today saying he thinks that Carlson has helped made Savard's game better, Mm -hmm. which is not something we've heard a lot through the years. Usually it works the other way around. Um, Allison, any thoughts on Gabriel Carlson? Um, you know, much like the last question, I, I mean, with respect, my, the jury is still out for me because, you know, this, I, I remember being in Philly, this kid flies in, he's going in the lineup. We're interviewing him in a hallway and all we, and people kept talking about his wingspan. Remember, look at how wide his arms are. Um, and the next season, he's playing in all these preseason games. We're talking to him like he's going to be a regular, and then you see neither hide nor hair of him for forever. Right, um, right now, again, with full respect to the player, Gabriel Carlson being in the top four, let alone the top six, speaks more to some of the challenges the other players have had than to what Gabriel Carlson is doing. Um, and that's not a knock on Gabriel Carlson. But uh, jury's still out for me. Um, let's see where yeah. we are when he's played more than six games. Yeah. To your point, if if uh, Vladislav Gavrikov were playing better, yes, this wouldn't even be an issue. Yes. Yeah. Carlson might be in the lineup, but he wouldn't be playing next to Savard. Gavrikov's really struggling. Yes. Um, we should talk about Dakota Joshua, who scored a goal yes. in his NHL debut. Go on, Allison. Well, Dakota is um, – Great. Um, he was a fiery personality at Ohio State, was part of the leadership group there, um, but still had some maturing to do um, off the ice. He liked to, to show a little temper. Um, he liked to be a big personality, and his rights moved around a bit um, after he left the NCAA, um, gets called up, and it all kind of happened fast and furious following the call-up, and then goes into the lineup, and then scores his first NHL goal, and, and this is a dynamic individual um, I really liked how he helped build up um, j- younger players on the Buckeye team um, when he was a senior, when he was a, an elder statesman, if you will. Um, and I think it's a great statement and a great model to players of color that there is a place for you and that your path may be a bit zigzaggy um, and you can still find a place on an NHL roster and you can put the puck in the net. This is it's surprising that this is one of the few uh, Buckeyes from cl- the classes that made such kind of a rattle and jump up the standings for that school um, to come up and make yeah. a mark. So so good for him. We'll see if he sticks. Yeah, and I would love to see this stat somewhere. 
Um, cause it seems like more people score in their, um, in their NHL debut. It seems like the number is awfully high. Sure. Doesn't it? It does. And I wouldn't know how you'd quantify that because, you know, you can only have one first game. But it seems like even players that don't score a ton end up scoring in their first game. I think Scott House and former GM Scott House scored on his first four NHL shots. Yes, that's a great stat. Or something like that. We talked to him about that. Yeah. Yeah, it's either four or five. It's an alarming number either way. But, yeah, that's an, it's always been of interest to me how guys, even guys who come in and they play on the fourth line, it, it seems like the the typical thing to do is to score in your NHL debut. Um, anything else to add to the show here, Allison, before we get a wrap? Um, other than you being excited to thread tweets, I think we have covered it all. The Ohio State women um, start conference yes. tournament play. This weekend, and we'll hope to return to the NCAA tournament after that um, great class of seniors finishing up their careers at Ohio State. The women's NCAA games will be for free on, I believe it's ESPN. I should have looked this up again before, but they will be accessible on TV. Watch them. Tell Mm -hmm. the broadcast, tell the networks that we want to see more of this sport accessible and free on TV so that these women get more of a stage to show just how freaking good they are. Excellent. Well, it is time for our annual The Athletic Listener Survey. We'd like to hear what you think about this show and all of the athletic shows you listen to. It's easy. Just click the link in the show notes for this episode. So thanks for listening, Allison. I think we're I think we're good. It's been a hectic uh, week or so here in Columbus, Ohio. Hopefully there's there'll be some tranquility here for the next couple of weeks and uh, people can perform to their best abilities. Well, we will talk to you all next Wednesday. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. And we'll talk to you then.